I'm Dr. Yvonne Kaysan. It is absolutely my pleasure to be on. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Your show. I'm a retired medical doctor. I used to be on faculty at the University of Toronto, faculty of medicine for many years. And I was the first Canadian medical doctor to specialize my medical practice in the counseling and research of people who'd had near-death experiences and other spiritual experiences. My first adult near-death experience happened to me when I was finishing my residency training as a young medical doctor, and it was very similar in some ways. So I'd like to share with you today a bit about my near-death experience that happened to me in a medevac plane crash when I was finishing my residency, and this was in 1979. And to make a, a long story short, basically, I was assigned on this particular day. I was working. I'd been assigned to go to northern Ontario in the middle of winter to work in a sort of remote community hospital. And I was assigned on this day by my supervising doctors to accompany a critically ill woman on a medevac, a medical evacuation that was being done by a small airplane. And this wasn't by a helicopter. Back then, these were done with propeller planes. So it was a small twin-engine propeller plane called a Piper Aztec, in case you want to look it up. And um, so I was in this airplane uh, with this critically ill patient who was intubated, which meant she had an airway into her lungs and a bag and an oxygen tank flowing into the bag, an bamboo bag. I had to be compressing it. There was also a um, nurse on the plane and she was tending to the patient's intravenouses. She had one in each arm. And then there was the pilot up in the pilot seat. And it was such a tiny plane that with us, the plane was full. Like it was a really, really tiny plane. Anyway, the pilot took off. Um, I wasn't really looking outside that much because I, of course, was tending to my critically ill patient. But we flew into bad weather. And so there was a lot of turbulence. It was like a blizzard, a snowstorm. And all of a sudden, I noticed that the sound of the engines had changed. And I looked up the window beside me and I could see that one of the propellers, it was a twin propeller airplane, one of the propellers was sputtering and coming to a stop. And I sort of shouted up to the pilot, what's going on? What's happening? Anyway, he was like pushing levers and pushing things and pulling things and pressing and trying. And he did manage to get the engine restarted again, thank goodness. Um, so then I, so I breathed a sigh of relief. I went back to tending my patient. But then a few minutes later, and all this time, the storm was getting worse. So the plane was being buffeted with snow and winds. And then all of a sudden, I heard... Again, the engine sound changing and the left engine this time, I could look out my window and see that that propeller was now sputtering to a stop. So I yelled up to the pilot, what is going on? And again, he's like pushing levers and struggling with the plane against the wind and everything. And then, so the left propeller had stopped. We only had the right propeller going. Then all of a sudden, the right propeller sputtered to a stop. And so there we were 
both engines not working and the plane started plummeting to the ground and just being buffeted with the worst air turbulence you could imagine. And my immediate reaction, I guess it would be anybody's, but my immediate reaction was intense fear and panic. It was like, oh my God, jumped out of my heart. I'm going to die. Help me, God. I mean, I didn't say it out loud, but this is like, it jumped out of my heart, just like a reflex. And it seems to me now looking back that that was close enough to a prayer because it's then that my near-death experience started. So it actually started while the plane was going down before the plane crashed. And so what happened was, was buffeted with this really horrible turbulence. All of a sudden, I started feeling this like it's like a force field of peace descending upon me. And it was literally pushing down all of my fear. And I started feeling incredible peace, incredible calm. I wasn't afraid anymore. And then I heard a voice in my mind, and I'd never heard inner voices before this experience, but I very strongly heard, and it, it sounded like a masculine voice, say inwardly, be still and know that I am God. I am with you now and always. And with those words, this incredible spiritual vibration of peace just permeated my soul and I was not afraid. And somehow I knew that everything would be okay whether I lived or died as the plane was crashing down to the ground. Well, incredibly heroically, the pilot was trying to guide the free falling plane with no engines. He'd pulled up his landing gear and he was trying to avoid crashing into trees. And there were many lakes in that part of Northern Canada. And most of the lakes are frozen over. So he was trying to guide us onto the surface of a semi-frozen lake. He was trying to do like a guided belly crash landing rather than crashing into trees where we would certainly have been killed. And quite heroically, he did manage to get us over a lake and he did manage to get us to touch down. But then we were skidding rapidly, rapidly, rapidly across the surface of the ice. And when the plane came to a stop, we were right at the edge of open water and the weight of the plane quickly broke the ice the plane nose dived and then it sank really deep into really deep water. So we had to get out of the plane really, really quickly while the plane was sinking. Uh, I managed to get out the, the patient. I, um, uh, I was trying to pull her out. I pulled the nurse out together. We were trying to pull the patient out. We just could not get her out before the plane nose dived. So unfortunately she went down with the plane. And then I found myself in open water. And this was the middle of winter in Canada. I was wearing heavy winter clothes, like a heavy parka and heavy boots. And in the water, they just were pulling me down like lead weights, pulling me under the water. As I looked to my right, some maybe 200 yards away was the closest land which was an island I later found out. And between me and the island was open water with a really, really fast moving current. 
I later learned that the place that we crashed is called Devil's Gap on Lake of the Woods by Kenora. And it's called Devil's Gap because of the strong current. The water there is so treacherous in summer and in winter and the ice doesn't freeze there because of the strong current. Moving away from where we were towards the open lake, we could see ice, but there was no way to know how thick the ice was and whether or not it could support our weight. Anyway, I then again heard that inner voice speak really loud and really clear. And it said to me, swim to shore. Now, I remember because this was all new to me. I'd not had like spiritual experiences or higher guidance before this. I argued with the voice. I remember thinking in my head, I'm not going to swim to shore. I had taken lifeguarding when I was younger, and they always tell you in a boating accident, don't swim to shore, you'll drown. And so uh, the pilot was shouting, try to get on the ice, try to get on the ice. So instead of listening to the inner voice, I turned and I started swimming towards the ice to try to get on the ice. The voice repeats, swim to shore. <laughs> Again, I ignored it. I tried and struggled with all my might to crawl on the ice. But as soon as I get the weight of my arms on the ice, even just the weight of my arms would break the ice and go underwater. And I would get be getting more and more tired and more and more cold in this cold weather in the winter blizzard. And the voice repeated a third time, swim to shore. And then finally, I surrendered to that wisdom. I shouted, the ice is too thin. We have to swim to shore. And then I started swimming to shore. Now, it was a really long and a really difficult swim. And I went under a few times, you know, with lake water filling my, my, my throat. And I had to kick and kick and kick with all of my strength to get my, my mouth above water again uh, to breathe. And it was somewhere in the process of swimming to shore that what I now know was a near-death experience deepened. And suddenly I heard this loud roaring noise, similar to what I heard during the Kundalini awakening, sort of like the roar of a waterfall or the rushing of a wind. I heard this loud noise and all of a sudden my consciousness seemed to lift up and it was like I was whisked out of my body and I was no longer where my physical body was, but my point of perception seemed to be like 20 or 25, 30 feet above my body looking down. But it's more complicated than that because actually it was like my consciousness was at two places at the same time because I wasn't dead. My physical body was still struggling to swim to shore. It was more like a split screen TV where my consciousness was two places at the same time. Like the little image, a little bit of my consciousness was still in my body that was desperately trying to swim to shore. But the majority of my consciousness, like the big image on the screen, had now risen up out of my body and was looking down watching what was happening. And then my consciousness rose higher, the majority of my consciousness. And I rose into this place that was filled with light and filled with love. At that time, I'd never really knew anything about near-death experiences. And since that time, I've heard many people talk about the light. And yes, it was filled with light. But for me, 
the most powerful aspect of where I went wasn't the light. It was the love. I was feeling such powerful, total, complete love. It was the most perfect, unconditional love. I'd never felt such profound, unconditional love in my life. And I felt like I was home. I felt like I was where I belonged. And somehow when I was in this realm or state of consciousness, however we're going to call it, filled with light and filled with love, I knew things. Not because somebody spoke them to me. It's just somehow I immediately knew things. And what I immediately knew was that this love that I was feeling was the love of our higher power or what I had been raised to call God. And what I was experiencing God or the higher power to be was not anything like I had been taught that God supposedly was. It was not an old man with a long white beard sitting on a throne, judging me in a book, you know, have you been good? Have you been bad? No, there's nothing like that. What I was actually experiencing is much more what I later read has been described in some of the Eastern traditions of our higher power. What I was actually experiencing was that I was in a luminescent white light realm and it wasn't like a glaring light it was like a soft diffuse but very bright light the closest I've ever found is when you're in an airplane and you're about to break out of the top of the clouds into the sunlit sky up above at the very very tops of the clouds it's all glistening and soft and sparkly yet it's diffused it was like the very, very tops of the clouds just before you break in the sunlight. That's what the soft light realm was like that I was experiencing on the other side. And for an instant, I saw a face of light. It appeared to me and then it sort of faded into that sort of like cloud-like soft glistening periphery. And this love that I was feeling, I could, I somehow knew that this was the unconditional love of our higher power. And that higher power was infinitely present, like interpenetrating everything, all of creation, all of past, present, and future. This higher power even knew what was going to happen to me later that day. It was like time didn't exist the same way to the higher power, that past, present, and future it was all known already to the higher power and that this higher power was like a force, like an intelligent force, infinitely intelligent force that's interpenetrating all of creation, past, present, and future. I also knew somehow without it, anybody telling me that, it's just somehow my soul knew that what that, I would live on what I think of as me would live on whether my body down there lived or died in the plane crash accident. So I watched in a like 
feeling complete joy, complete bliss, complete contentment, sort of in a detached way, because it really didn't matter to me whether my body down below lived or died, because I knew that I would live on in the light, even if my physical body down there didn't. Anyway, my physical body was really struggling to get to shore. And when I was about, my body was about 20 feet from shore, it really looked like I was not going to make it those last 20 feet. And at that instant, it was like the, 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 the split screen image changed where most of my consciousness went back into my physical body for a moment, I guess for my moment of death. And I remember looking through my my body's eyes towards the the shore. It was about 20 feet away. A current was carrying me really strongly, really rapidly to the right. And I just did not have the strength to swim those last 20 feet. And I remember thinking, and this is what I thought is weird, what one thinks when you're facing death. But I remember thinking, gee, it really is true. You do die the third time you go down because <laughs> this was going to be the third time I go down. And I was all ready. I was just surrendering completely to death because I knew there was nothing to fear. I was just going to continue on in that white light realm. But then I saw that the current was carrying me really rapidly to the right. And off the shore from this island that I'd almost swum to, there was a tall pine tree that had fallen into the water. And the current was carrying me right to the tip of it. And it actually looked to me in the state of consciousness that I was in, like there was an etheric or a white light hand superimposed on that tree reaching out to me. And all I had to do was swim one or two more strokes and I would reach that tree, that outstretched hand that would save me. Well, somehow through the grace of God, I found the strength to swim those last two strokes. And when my hand hit the tree, I remember I felt absolutely nothing in my physical hand. It was so severely frozen. And I pulled myself sort of mechanically along that tree until I hit the shore, climbed over some shore ice, and then I made it onto land. And I called out to the other two, swim to shore, swim to shore, you can make it. And then I sort of huddled in a cross-legged position, uh, sorry, in a squat position with my hands tucked, my frozen, frozen hands tucked in my armpits. And I felt my consciousness drift further and further away from my body. I was freezing to death. The pilot managed to swim to shore as well. The nurse managed to find some uh, ice that had some wood frozen in it so it could keep her afloat. And the three of us were freezing to death in the frigid cold in our wet clothes. And normally there's no way we would have survived because there was no way to reach us. We were by open water uh, with frozen ice. We'd swum to an island. You couldn't get there by road. You couldn't get there by skidoo. You couldn't get there by boat. So the only way we could possibly be rescued was by helicopter. And normally there's no helicopter anywhere close to this region. But by divine coincidence or the grace of God, there was a helicopter that day that had just set down because of the same storm about five miles from where we had crashed. But how would he know unless he heard a message to come out and look for us? When the, when the plane went down, the pilot had radioed out a mayday, but because of the trees and the storm, et cetera, 
The only way anyone could have heard the May Day is if there was a plane flying almost directly overhead. And believe it or not, there was a regularly scheduled Air Canada flight. It picked up by divine grace that May Day message. It relayed it down, I guess, on the emergency frequencies to whoever is in the area. There's a plane that's that crashed. And the pilot who had just sat down got in his helicopter with a, another pilot he did just met. They knew exactly where to start looking for us. Anyway, through the grace of God, they found us uh, risking their own lives. They brought us to the closest hospital. I remember um, watching from above as a helicopter landed on the driveway of the hospital and the um, the hospital, the emergency room staff brought out their stretchers. They lay me on a stretcher. They wheeled me into the emergency department. I was practically frozen to death. I was hypothermic. My temperature was lower than the bottom reading of the thermometer. They were trying to take my temperature. And I could feel my consciousness drifting further and further away from my body. And I was okay. I was at peace. I was in joy. I knew I was be staying in the light. And then all of a sudden, I heard a voice say, boy, could I use a hot bath? And I was surprised to see that it had come out of my own body because I had not planned on saying that. So I don't know what spoke through me to say, boy, could I use a hot bath? And the nurses laughed for a second. And then they said, hey, maybe that would help them. Let's take them to the hot whirlpool baths in the physiotherapy department. So they wheeled me and the others down to the physiotherapy department. They finally took off my ice encrusted coat. They, they put me in the hot water of the whirlpool bath. So that was actually resuscitating me by warming up my hypothermic body. And it was in that hot whirlpool bath that I felt my consciousness re-enter my body. And what that felt like was, it was like how they depict on TV a genie being sucked into a bottle. I'd been in this great big expanded place above and... I was suddenly forcibly sucked back into the small confines of my body. And then when I was back in my body, I remember saying I was rubbing my frozen hands. I had no feeling in them at all against my legs in the hot water. And I was saying, I'm back, I'm back, I'm going to live, I'm going to live. Anyway, it took me a long time to figure out what on earth had happened to me. I didn't even have a word afterwards to describe what had happened to me. This experience changed me tremendously. The impact was phenomenal. Like first off, when I first came back, it was like I was drunk with love. It was like I brought back some of that love that I felt on the other side. Thank goodness I had to be off work for a month because of my frostbite because I was just bubbling love all the time. I would look out the window, I'd see kids playing in the street, and I'd feel these waves of love for the children. I'd listen to music on the radio, and I'd feel waves of love and joy listening to the radio. I'd look at squirrels playing in my yard, and I'd feel waves of love for the squirrels. It was just, it was just bubbling love. I also came back with a new clarity about forgiveness and about truth and I had been feuding with my dad for since childhood you know as many young people do and somehow when I got back from this near-death experience 
what I now know is a near-death experience. I was so filled with clarity and with love that I phoned up my dad and I said, dad, I love you. Let's be friends. Let's talk. And my dad and I reconciled and we had a loving father-daughter relationship for the following seven years until my father passed. And I look at this as one of the great blessings that I got as an after effect from that near-death experience that that my heart had softened. Uh, nothing had changed about my dad. It was me that changed. Things that I thought were so important before just were now trivial. What really mattered was the love, and I loved my father. And other things changed about me afterwards. I absolutely lost my fear of death. I knew that all of us would live on after our bodies die, including me. I also became much, much, much more compassionate and understanding and tolerant of people with different religious and spiritual views. Because I realized we're all trying to understand the same one truth. It's like trying to climb a mountain from different perspectives. It looks different at the bottom, but when you get to the top, we're all trying to reach the same peak, which is to realize our oneness with our divine source, with the one higher power underlying the universe. There is always hope for a better tomorrow. Miracles do happen. And you're looking at one right now that I, through the grace of God, experienced a miracle. So with God, all things are possible. Never give up hope, no matter what your challenges are, because miracles do happen.